So take your Bibles and turn to Genesis. <laughs> we might as well start in Genesis. We have been working our way through Ephesians, and in chapter 4 and verse 1, we heard Paul implore us, his readers, I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. We are called to salvation. We are called to a holy and blameless life. So walk in a manner worthy of that calling. Live accordingly. And we've been talking about that worthy walk. Paul showed us what that worthy walk looks like in church. We talked about the worthy walk at large, wherever you go. We talked about the worthy walk in wisdom, the worthy walk in spirit, in the spirit. And now we're going to be looking at the worthy walk at home. Paul is going to take us into our homes, our family life, as he deals with marriage and parenting. So at this juncture in Ephesians, as we begin to talk about marriage and parenting, I thought we'd kind of do a little blue blaze side trail for a little bit and do a short mini-series, a series within a series about the family. So just a short series on the family. We have Father's Day coming right up, so it's just an opportune time as Paul's going to help us as we talk about the worthy walk at home in our marriage and with our children. But today we're going to back up a little bit and let's take the broader view of marriage, biblical marriage, God's plan for marriage. So we're going to kind of take the, take the bird's eye view from 30,000 feet, if you will, and then next week we'll zero in and we'll spend more time in Ephesians 5 and, and, and start looking at that text in its context. So this morning, let's back up in a, in a broader sense as we look at marriage in general. So many times we bring unnecessary pain and grief and heartache and frustration into our lives because we think we might know better than God. <laughs> and we just, we hurt ourselves. We shoot ourselves in the foot. We bring so much unnecessary pain and grief into our lives when we say, you know, I know the Bible says this, but I just think. <laughs> well, I know God says, but I believe and we think we might know better and we want to do life our way or the world's way instead of God's way, and it never turns out. It always is a mess. And so the challenge this morning is to receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save our souls. God created us. He is our creator. He created us male and female. We're going to see it in just a moment. He created marriage. It was his idea and it just makes sense that the Creator would know how marriage should work. Men and women are different. We'll see that too. We are different. Marriage is His plan. Well, maybe, just maybe, the Creator, the all-knowing, He knows how we ought to do this. So let's set aside everything we hear from the world and what we might think, what we might prefer, and let's see what does God say about this thing called marriage. So again, this morning, we're going to see it from 30,000 feet, and then next week, we'll zero in on Ephesians 5 as we look at husbands and wives and the worthy walk at home. So if you have your bulletin, there's a listening guide on the back. So we're going to start, first of all, with the purpose of marriage, and the Bible gives us four specific rationales for marriage, four biblical purposes for marriage. Let's take a look. One is to complement male and female. To complement male and female. We go back to the garden. In the garden, before there was sin, before death, before corruption, before everything got messed up, when everything was pristine, here's what happened. And in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18, Then the Lord God said, 
It is not good for the man to be alone. That would be Adam, the first man. It's not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. A helper, a help meet, suitable or corresponding to him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky, brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the sky, to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper suitable for him, corresponding to him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So here in the creation account where everything was pristine and perfect, unsoiled by sin, God said there's a problem. In this, in this world of goodness, there's a problem. It's not good for the man to be alone. And so he created woman. And in the very passage where he tells us how he cre- created the woman, he gives us the purpose. And the purpose was so that for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So woman and the marriage relationship is God's solution to the problem. It's not good for the man to be alone. So what we have is this complementing of male and female. The purpose of marriage is not companionship. Many times that's kind of what we think. Well, I want to get married because I don't want to be alone. I want to get married so I'll have a companion. Companionship is not a purpose of marriage. It is a benefit of marriage. It's an important part of marriage, but it's not a purpose. What we see here is a complementing companionship or a complementing between the male and female. God created us male and female. There it is. We, we all knew that. That was common sense until about five years ago, maybe three years ago, maybe two weeks ago. But now, I mean, it's never mind. God created us male and female. Now, i got a newsflash for you. Men and women are different. Okay, did you know that? Woo. Men and women are different. We'll look at some of those differences next week, gender differences. But men and women are different. But God in His divine creative genius made us different so that He might make us one. The woman was a helper corresponding to the man, suitable for the man. We are different. We are, God made us different that he might make us one. So one of the purposes of marriage, back in the very beginning in Genesis 2, it's not good for the man to be alone, so God created a helpmeet corresponding to him, male, female, bring them together. We have a complement. Now, that's compliment with an E, not with an I. Compliment with an I is, hey, nice haircut. I like your top. You know, that's, that's a pretty shirt. <laughs> that's, that's a compliment with an I. This is a complimenting with an E, which means to make perfect, to fill out, to, to match rightly. That's the idea. So God uses marriage to bring man and woman together in a complimenting relationship. So that's one purpose of marriage. That's all the way back in Genesis 2. Here's another purpose for marriage to portray Christ and the church. 
Now let's go back to Ephesians. So let's go all the way back. This is where we kind of sort of started in Ephesians chapter 5. Now last time we heard Paul talk about submission and we talked about the spirit-filled life. Don't be drunk with wine. That's self-destructive. Be filled with the spirit. And we saw that one of the results of being filled with the spirit is that we are subject to one another in the fear of Christ. That word subject, submit, means to voluntarily line up under, to arrange under. And that was groundbreaking. That's revolutionary. In the body of Christ, we voluntarily line up under someone else's authority in the body of Christ, submit to one another in the fear of Christ. So here we, in the body of Christ, we're to submit to one another, not just under those who have authority, not just under those who hold an office, but we're to submit to one another in deference and love and humility. That's one of the evidences of being filled with the Spirit. We submit to one another in the fear of Christ. But now he takes that same word, and he brings it into the marriage relationship. We'll get into more of this next time. But let's take a look. Here's our text. In verse 22, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. Again, that's submit. Voluntarily line up under. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. I'm going to give you a heads up. He's going to describe, he's comparing the husband-wife relationship to Christ and his relationship with his bride, the church. So here we have a husband and wife marriage, and then we have this mystical marriage of sorts between Christ the bridegroom and his bride the church. So he he compares them. And there are times in this text where you kind of lose track. Okay, now wait a minute. Is he still talking about married people, or is he talking about the church? I lost track. There's that kind of a comparison. So let's take a look. So the husband's the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ... So also wives ought to be to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, now Paul quotes Genesis 2, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. So there we have the husband-wife relationship portraying, reflecting Christ's relationship with his church. The husband is to treat his wife the way Christ treats his bride, the church. The wife is to respond to her husband the way the church is to respond to her groom, the Lord Jesus Christ. i got a question for you. What does your marriage portray about Christ and the church? Don't answer that. So portray Christ in the church. Here's another reason for marriage or a a purpose for marriage. To produce godly offspring. To produce godly offspring. And Malachi chapter 2. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. God has some complaints uh, about his people. Some of the things that they are doing. One of his complaints is that the men of Israel in Malachi's day 
were dealing treacherously with their wives. They were divorcing their wives at will and just moving on to greener pastures, if you will. They were, just, they, were, they were not dealing faithfully with their wives. And so he says this in Malachi chapter 2, verse 13. This is another thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. Yet you say, for what reason? So God's not answering the prayers. He does not accept their worship. Why? What's going on, Lord? Because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth, against whom you have dealt treacherously, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. But not one has done so who has a remnant of the Spirit. And what did that one do while he was seeking a godly offspring? Take heed then to your spirit, and let no one deal treacherously against the wife of your youth. For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel, and him who covers his garment with wrong, says the Lord of hosts. So take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. So the way that they were treating their wives was affecting their relationship with God. But now notice in verse 15 where he says, what did that one do while he was seeking a godly offspring? That's one of the purposes of marriage, to produce godly offspring. Now, we live in a culture today where everything goes. Everything's a family. You and your parakeet are a family. You know, I mean, just every, everything passes for a family. Anything passes for a family. A single person can go make a baby or get a baby. A homosexual couple can go make a baby or get a baby, whatever else. And the premise is that parents are interchangeable. Now, you don't really need a mother or you don't really need a father. One is as good as the other. That's not God's plan. Mommies are not daddies. Daddies are not mommies. God's plan is that a man and a woman come together in a covenant marriage relationship and out of that union they bring children into the world. They raise those children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. They teach them the things of God, point them to Christ, and thus raise godly offspring. That's God's plan. I mean, we look around in our culture today, many of our societal problems are really family problems writ large. It all comes back to the family. It's the building block of our society as well. So one of, one of the purposes for marriage is to produce a godly offspring. And then, fourthly, to satisfy the need for physical intimacy. God created us male and female. He put within us a physical desire for one another. There is that drive. And God's answer, God's provision for that physical desire is the marriage bed. Now, we've talked about this before. Sex before marriage is sin, porneia, fornication. Sex outside of marriage, adultery. That is sin, plain and simple. Black ink, white paper. It is sin. Sex inside marriage is good. It's God's gift to that married couple. And it's God's provision for that desire and that drive that he put within us as men and women. So it's God's answer for that need. The marriage bed is that, is that venue, the only venue where that can be legitimately fulfilled. In 1 Corinthians 7, we won't read it, it's too long of a chapter, but in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul basically says this. If you can't handle celibate singleness, you need to get married. <laughs> Better to marry than to burn. That's what he says. 
On the other hand, Paul also says this. If you can handle celibate singleness, you're better off single. Huh. Well, that's another sermon for another day. But that's 1 Corinthians 7. One of the purposes for marriage, this is God's venue. This is where and how we can meet that that need for physical intimacy that God has given us. So those are four biblical purposes for marriage. Now let's look at God's plan for marriage. Five characteristics of marriage God's way, not the world's way. Here's what God has to say about it. Here's God's plan for marriage. The first characteristic is separation. There's to be a separation. We read about it in Genesis chapter 2. And then Paul quotes it. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother. You leave your father and mother. There is a separation. The three leading causes of divorce in our country, number one is adultery, across all ages. Adultery, it's a marriage killer. Number two is money. Isn't that sad? Money. It's what we argue about the most. What did you buy now? <laughs> Thirdly, in-law interference. Can you believe it? A reason for divorce where mom and dad can't keep their nose out of our business. In-law interference. Folks, this is a thing. This is why Everybody Loves Raymond was on TV for a decade. Struck a nerve. Sometimes it wasn't funny. It's like, hey, that's my life. That ain't funny at all. I'm not laughing at that. Ouch. In-law interference. There needs to be a separation. For this cause, what cause? To cleave to his wife. Union. For this cause, a man leaves his father and mother. For over 30 years, I've been counseling the young people that I marry in premarital counseling. For over 30 years, I tell, I tell all these young couples the same thing. told my three boys the same thing. The best marriage insurance you can buy is to move 400 miles away from all parents. I'm serious as a heart attack. Best marriage insurance you can buy, get away from all parents. Her parents, his parents, you need to move 400 miles away. Why would you say that? Because there needs to be a separation. And that distance, physical distance, that just helps, helps, helps separate, helps you leave father and mother. It also makes that couple dependent on each other. Well, now we, gotta, we, we need each other. We've got to depend on each other. We can't just depend on mom and dad. Now we need each other's help. When they are fussing, they can't just run home to mama. We're going to stand here and look at each other and sort this mess out. We're going to solve our conflict. We've got to figure it out. There, there needs to be a separation. Now, here's what's sad. There are some men, I use the term man loosely, there are some men who don't want to leave home. Mama's boy. And he's still tied to mama's apron strings, and mama doesn't want to let him go. And that poor woman who marries a mama's boy, she's got a challenge on her hands. She's going to have trouble. Sometimes it's the woman. I have seen women who have straight-up daddy issues. Her daddy is perfect. Her daddy does no wrong. And she compares her husband to her daddy, and it's never a favorable comparison. And that poor husband lives in the shadow of his father-in-law. You're going to have troubles. Now, there needs to be a separation. Now, I will say this. Now that I'm a grandfather, you need to move 400 miles away, but once you start making babies, their adjustments need to be made. <laughs> 400 miles might be a little too far. Adjustments might need to be made. Bring them babies a little closer to, 
to grandma and grandpa. Well, there needs to be a separation. And when there's not, you're going to have trouble. It is a, it's one of the three leading causes of divorce. In-law interference. Isn't that a shame? Then unity. God's plan for marriage is unity. We go back to Genesis 2, Ephesians 5. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. He cleaves to his wife, and the word cleave means to stick to, to to be drawn together, stuck together. You're stuck with her. You're stuck with him now. You get married, you're stuck with each other. You're stuck to each other. There's a sticking. There is a a cleaving. That's the whole idea. You become one flesh. There is an intimacy. And really, we could say a threefold intimacy. There is a social intimacy, a sexual intimacy, and a spiritual intimacy. This is the unity. The two become one flesh. There needs to be a social intimacy, social, intellectual, emotional. I hope you marry your best friend. Your spouse should be your best friend. That's ideal. That you, you enjoy being together. You enjoy talking to each other. You enjoy sharing things with each other. You enjoy doing things with each other. There, there is just, you enjoy each other. There is, a, there is a social intimacy. Your spouse is your bestest friend. Then there is that sexual intimacy. We've already talked about God's answer for the desire that he put within us. Sex inside marriage is good. Listen, we didn't come up with this. God came up with this. It's his idea, and he he gave it to us to draw us together. Sexual intimacy. And then there is spiritual intimacy. A husband and wife that love the Lord together. They have a shared commitment, a shared faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They love the Lord together together. They walk with the Lord together. They follow the Lord together. They serve the Lord together. A spiritual intimacy. And when you have a husband and wife who have all three, think of a three-legged stool. When you have all three legs, that social, sexual, and spiritual intimacy, that husband and wife can have a little bit of heaven right here on earth. Now, that's a three-legged stool. If you take one of those legs out... Now you've got a two-legged stool. Can you sit on a two-legged stool? You can, but it's a lot of work to keep it upright. And sadly, that's where a lot of marriages find themselves, where they don't have one of, these, one of those legs, and it's missing, and it's a lot of work, and, and it's hard, and it's frustrating, and it's less than what God wants. So there is a unity, that intimacy that God wants for us. And then there is synergistic companionship. God's plan for the marriage, a synergistic companionship the two shall he'll be joined to his wife the two shall become one flesh you've heard the term synergy before probably synergy just means that things come together and work better together that there is a there is an efficiency that outpaces the individual components that things come together and man things really work well together that's the idea in other words one plus one is not two One plus one is three or four or five or six. And the whole idea in marriage, God created us different, male and female. Men are not women. Women are not men. We are different. But what he brings to the table and what she brings to the table, you put us together and now we are a team. We are a force to be reckoned with. 
There's only so much he can do by himself. There's only so much she can do by herself. But when they come together, they complement each other. Remember, it helped me corresponding to him. And now there's a synergy. And they can do more than the sum of their individual contributions. There's a teamwork, a synergistic companionship. Again, this is part of marriage. And then priority. Priority. The priority of marriage. Now, let's talk about something so obvious and so assumed that really the Bible doesn't speak about it in explicit terms, but we need to hear it these days because we see a lot of people mess up on this point, the priority of marriage. The priority of marriage says this, your spouse is your ultimate earthly priority. That's the priority of marriage. Now, if you are a Christ follower, Christ is your ultimate priority, period. He is your owner. You've been bought and paid for with His blood. He is your master. He is your Lord. He is your Savior. You have died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Christ is your life. So as a Christian, Jesus Christ is your priority. Nothing compares to Him. Everything is under him. But now under Christ, your spouse is your highest earthly priority. Everything and everyone else comes under your spouse. So if you're a Christian, we start with Jesus. And if you're married, then it's your spouse. Now here's what this looks like. Let's just get specific. Your spouse comes before your parents. We just said there needs to be a leaving A man leaves his father and his mother, and he cleaves to his wife. When you're young, you owe your allegiance, your obedience to your parents. We'll see that in Ephesians 5 in a little bit when he talks about parents and children. So as young people, you owe allegiance to your parents. But when you get married, you leave that allegiance, and now your allegiance is to your spouse. And so if it ever comes down to, well, mom and dad want this, but my spouse says this, well, there's no question, there's no debate, we don't have to think about it, we don't have to pray about it. Spouse wins every time because I'm married to my spouse. I'm not married to my parents. I'm married to my spouse. So your spouse comes before your parents. Again, in-law interference, it's a thing. It is a thing. Your spouse outranks your parents. Ready for this one? You're not going to like it. Your spouse comes before your children. Your spouse comes before your children. You marry your spouse. You don't marry your children. You produce children. You raise them. (laughs) But you're married to your spouse. Your spouse comes first. And yet I, I see so many couples get this wrong. And they put their kids ahead of their spouse, especially in blended families. And, and it never works well for the kids, and it doesn't work well for the adults, for the married couple. You have to put your spouse first. You stand before God and assembled witnesses, and you make vows to your spouse to love and to honor and to cherish. You don't make that kind of vow to your kid. You made that vow to your spouse. For richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, for better, for worse, till death do us part. You make that vow to your spouse, not your children. Jesus said, 
They are no longer two, man and wife. They are no longer two, but one flesh. What God has joined together, let not man put us under. He said that about you and your spouse. He didn't say that about you and your children. Your spouse comes before your children. Now, your job is to raise those children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's your job. We'll get to that in Ephesians 5. You raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. But the goal, I mean, the whole goal of parenting is to launch them. You raise them, and you can launch them to live their adult lives before the Lord. You do everything you can to point them to Christ, raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, teach them the things of God. You try to raise them right, teach them right, point them to the Lord, and then you release them to go live their life, and they're accountable to the Lord. Now, if you have put your kids before your spouse, one day your kids are going to launch... They're going to go up, grow up and go to college. Or they're going to leave you and cleave to their spouse. And they're going to separate and get married to their spouse. And if if you've been putting your kids ahead of your spouse, you're going to find yourself married to a stranger. We've We've been together now for the sake of the kids all this time. And now the kids are gone. And who are you? And And I'm not sure I like the person you are anymore. And where are we? And right now there's an epidemic of empty nester divorces where couples find themselves in this mess they have put the kids first all these years and now the kids are gone well there's no reason for us to be together and now couples who have been married for 20 30 years getting divorced this is part of it and it especially happens in blended families blended blended families face a lot of challenges but if if you if you can't put your spouse Ahead of your children, don't get married. Don't get married. Again, blended families face a lot of challenges, but this is one of them. Well, my kids come first. Well, then don't get married. Because, <laughs> again, you're going to face all those problems again. So your spouse is your highest earthly priority. Well, your, 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 spouse, comes, uh, your spouse comes before your parents. Your spouse comes before your kids. Your spouse comes before work. Your spouse comes before your work, your highest earthly priority. If you need to quit your job and change jobs for the sake of your family, for the sake of your marriage, then you quit your job and change jobs. If you have to relocate and move away for the sake of your marriage, for the sake of your family, well, then you, you quit and you move away. If you have to get out of the army for the sake of your marriage and for the sake of your family, then you get out of the army. I've heard people say, I've heard men say, well, I can always get another wife. I can't get another career. No, sir. You get another career, you keep your wife. Either way, it could be her too. He is more important than your career. Either way. So your spouse comes before your work. Your spouse comes before your hobbies. Hobbies and pastimes. Heard about a man who told his wife, honey, is there anything you want to say to me before deer season begins? You know, because, you know, he's going to be gone. Is there anything you want to say to me before football starts? Because he's going to be checked out. There are football widows and all the rest. Be careful. Now, there's nothing wrong with golf and sports and hobbies and pastimes. Those are fine, but you have to keep them in perspective. And your spouse is more important than those things. Your spouse is more important than money or possessions. And I've known people who got divorced over money. Isn't that sad? Something as trivial and unimportant as money and yet lose your family over money. Your spouse is more important than possessions or money. 
other than your relationship to Christ, your spouse, is your highest earthly priority. And then lastly, permanence. God's plan for marriage, separation, you leave father and mother, unity, a sexual, social, and spiritual unity, they become one flesh, a synergistic companionship, priority, your spouse is first, and then permanence. When answering a question about divorce, Jesus said this, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. What God has joined together, let no man separate. God's plan for marriage is permanence. That's his plan. One man, one woman for a lifetime. That's the plan. Now, divorce happens. We did a whole series of messages years ago on divorce and remarriage and what the Bible says about it. We're not going to re-preach all that this morning, but here's, here's the short version. Divorce is about as old as marriage. <laughs> as soon as there was marriage, it didn't take long, there were divorces. So divorce is about as old as marriage. Divorce is always the result of sin. Somebody, I mean, somebody has sinned along the way in some form or fashion. So divorce is always the result of sin. Divorce is devastating. It is not trivial. It is not simple. It is devastating. You talk to somebody who's gone through a divorce, they liken it to a death. In some ways, it's worse than a death. It is devastating. It's devastating for those who are getting divorced. It's devastating for their families, and it's devastating for the children. Oh, the kids will be fine. No, not so fine. It is devastating. This is why God, we read it, God hates divorce. It's not his plan. It's not how marriage is supposed to happen. But let me say this. If you have been through a divorce, understand God forgives. God heals. God redeems. And God restores. And there is life after divorce. That said, God's plan is permanence. One man, one woman for a lifetime. That's the plan. Well, we're going to stop there for this morning. Now, let me ask you, any of that kind of rub you the wrong way? Kind of bristle at it? Kind of make you a little bit uncomfortable? Well, you're going to hate next week then. <laughs> oh boy, I'm just telling you, you're not going to enjoy next Sunday at all. If this bothers us, it, it's an indication of how much we have been conformed to the world and how we have listened to the, what the world says about the marriage and all the rest. We listen to the world and we think like the world. And remember, we're not to be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that's part of the challenge. Let's receive with meekness the engrafted word. What does God say about these things? Because the way the world does it does not work. Just look around. The world's way doesn't work. Our way doesn't work. God's way is the best way. There is no way you can live God's way without God. It's been said the Christian life is not hard. It's impossible. And you can only live the Christian life in Christ, with Christ, through Christ. 
Christ lives it out through you. The only way you can do this, marriage God's way, the only way you can live the life God's way is in a vital relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So I need to ask you, do you have that relationship with him? Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you been saved? Do you have a vital, dynamic, personal relationship with him that shapes and defines your entire life? That's your greatest need. That's where this all starts. You start with Jesus. The Bible tells us all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every last one of us, we are sinners. We are sinners by nature, and our sins have separated us from God. Our sins carry a death sentence. We are by nature children of wrath. We read that in Ephesians The wrath of God abides upon us. We are condemned in our sins. But Jesus Christ gave his life on Calvary's cross to pay for your sins and mine. He paid the penalty. He died in our place. He was raised again. He's alive today. And he offers you the gift of eternal life, the forgiveness of sin, if you'll repent and believe on him. It's God's gift. You don't earn it. You can't pay for it. You'll never deserve it. All you do is receive it by faith in Jesus Christ. You understand that you are a sinner. He is the Savior. He's the only Savior. He's your only hope. You know and believe that he died on the cross for you. He is alive today. And so you fall before him and say, Oh, Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. Forgive my sin. Save my soul. Take my life. I'm yours. Save me, dear Jesus. That's how you're saved. That's how you begin that that vital relationship with him. If you've never done that, or if you'd like to do that, or if you have questions about that, I invite you to come. In a moment, we're going to stand up and sing our hymn of decision. I'll be right here. Come to me and say, Preacher, I have questions. Tell me more. I want to be saved. I need God. However you want to say it, we'd love to talk with you privately, pray with you if you'd like to, but you could leave here today a child of God. Say yes to Jesus Christ. If you're looking for a church home and God has brought you here, we'd love to have you. You could come and say, I want to join the church. We'll take it from there. Or to be baptized. Or if you want to pray with somebody, we'd love to pray with you. But whatever God may be speaking to your heart this morning, we invite you to come. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, God, we thank you for your word. God, thank you that you did not leave us to our own devices to try to sort out and figure out what marriage might be, should be, how it will work. And Lord, you've helped us. You've shown us the blueprint. You have given us the plan. We have your word. God, thank you for this. God, forgive us when we think we might know better, when we might have a better way. Lord, we're always wrong. I pray that we would receive with meekness your engrafted word, and let's do this the way you have planned it and designed it. God, I pray for the one who's never been saved and help them to to see and hear and know they need Jesus Christ. They must be born again. Lord, bring them to the cross even now. Just take charge of this time of decision. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.